before hearing God's word um, for us, let us pause to pray and open our hearts to God. God, your word is rule. Your spirit is our teacher. The goodness and the glory of Jesus are only concern. Come now, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Hear the word of God. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of V. Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is, pre what is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. It is so good to be entering into the ministry year. It just has a different feel than the summer, a little more energy, and it's good to see so many people here this morning. It is a joy um, to worship with you, 
and to enter this ministry year and to, to be centered in the sanctuary. I love that our sanctuary is centered around the symbols of our faith, the baptismal font, and the remembrance of God's loving embrace and the remembrance of all God's promises for us. Pulpit here where we listen for God's word. It's a symbol of God's word that comes to us daily to renew us. But also this communion table, a table that's always set before us, a table that is not ours, but is Christ's table. It is an incredible symbol of our faith in God and relationships that we have with one another because of what Christ has done and what Christ invites us to. Communion, welcome, hospitality. But the uh, sort of communion, welcome, and hospitality Jesus offered and invited us into was always a bit radical. And the passage that I'm, that I'm coming, that's coming to mind for me that kind of speaks about this and, so to speak, J- Jesus' table manners, if you will, comes at the very heart of uh, Luke's account about Jesus in chapter 15. It's, chapter 15 is familiar to most because it's a story in which there's a father with two sons, one a prodigal and one prideful. Um, but it starts out like this. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The table was an important place and symbol of of Jesus' own ministry, as it is for us. Jesus welcomed sinners, outcasts, the despised, the marginalized, and ate with them, taking them in and breaking bread and showering them with graces, showing them they were worth something. This does not come at the expense of of major power players and and pious priests and lawyers who upheld the rules, but, but it did challenge them and confront them and invite them towards some changes in their own life. And because of this, Jesus invited them to hear some words. He asked these grumbling guys, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until you find it? And when you find it, you lay it on your shoulders and rejoice. And when you come home, you call your friends together and your neighbors too, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus tells us there is great, great joy over those who have turned aside from their regular life's programming to come seeking God in this divine light they see in Jesus. And it often happens around the table. There's something central to the heart of the gospel about radical hospitality and a wide welcome, the fruit of which is great joy for God and those who know God's heart. 
Yet beyond joy, there's, there are some other byproducts, so to speak. First, the thing I see is, is there's this great joy, but also comfort. Comfort in this wonderful message that people are being welcomed in and finding this grace and richness of God. Second, there, this, this hospitality causes a bit of chaos and challenges social norms and the, the expectations and the mental models of those who are in power or have some power in society. And thirdly, the, the hospitality of Jesus in its radical form is intended to bring some change to all people involved, whether those who are being welcomed in for the first time or those who are already the insiders wrestling with how these outsiders can now be insiders. The heart of God we see held out to us in Jesus is a heart that desires and longs to go the extra mile to welcome people, even in the face of challenge from people with power or sway or status, even if it means the discomfort of change. And as a community of followers of Jesus, trying and striving to follow in his footsteps, we always have to wonder about our table manners as well, so to speak. Are the invitations to our table, our community, our homes as radically wide? Do we rejoice and celebrate people who finally find their place at God's table that was always waiting for them? Does our welcome challenge us and our social norms not just to be on, on board with our own thoughts and our own desires and our own agendas, but in alignment with God's vision? One of the things that we've done over the past year, couple years, is we've wrestled with that, right? Right? We've all felt it. We've wrestled with that through our process of discernment that we went through specifically from January to May last year, wrestling with what does inclusion mean and wrestling with same-sex marriage. And I wanted to thank you and celebrate you as a community for walking through that process and engaging with it, wrestling with it, listening to one another, remaining curious with one another about where we're at, wrestling with the gospel and hospitality and welcome. And having wrestled through it and having provided feedback, the consistory believed that, that to continue, continue for us to go forward and follow in the footsteps of Jesus and share his love, we wanted to allow these marriages to happen and to welcome people who identify in the LGBT community to be welcomed in the full life of the, of the, of the church. But Throughout this process, we recognized that, that, it, that it wasn't just about that. It was something larger. It was something bigger. It was a wider vision of welcome and hospitality for our church. As a result, we created this um, and approved this welcome statement that's printed in your bulletin. And it's printed there at the end. And if you want to follow along with me, you're welcome to. And it reads this. At Linwood Reformed Church, we affirm the great diversity of God's creation in our communities. This diversity includes persons from various economic, ethnic, and cultural backgrounds, 
gifted with a variety of abilities, gender expressions, and sexual identities. We also believe that God's unconditional love as demonstrated through Jesus Christ is intended for all. As such, all people are welcome to participate fully in the life of the church. And over the next couple weeks, I want, I want to unpack this and what it means for us. I want to ask how this welcome statement is about table manners, so to speak. How does it invite us to have better table manners in comforting others, in challenging us, and perhaps also leaving, leading to change that overall is life-giving because it shapes our hearts and our community more into the image that we see in Jesus. This week, I, I wanted to focus specifically of the diversity of God's creation in our community by welcoming people from different gender expressions and sexual identities to fully participate in the life of the church. I want to focus on that statement. And I think this passage from Acts kind of gets at that. Recall with me about Acts, Acts of the Apostles, about the story of what happened after Jesus died and rose and then went to heaven to be with God the Father. The book itself is about Jesus sending the Spirit to his followers on earth to, to continue to figure out how to continue his ministry and share his message with the world. And one such interaction of figuring it out and following in the footsteps is this wonderful, Spirit-filled interaction with Philip. Philip and a man who's only identified as the Ethiopian eunuch. But what else can we tell about this guy? What else can we know? Well, he's someone who loved God, the God of Israel. And, and he traveled from far away to worship in Jerusalem at the times when the Jews were celebrating their major festivals. And at this moment when Philip encounters him, he is leaving Jerusalem and going home. And he's going in his carriage, so the fact that he's traveling in a coach or a carriage means that he is someone of privilege and power and wealth and status. He's an important person. And yet, he's an outsider. As a eunuch, he was someone physically mutilated and disfigured so that he would not desire the queen and therefore he could serve closely to her because he lacked that testosterone which can so easily lead astray into trouble and issues. However, this also meant he could not worship God in the temple space. One, because he was Ethiopian and perhaps not ethnically Jewish, but more so specifically because he would have been ritually unclean as a eunuch. So this rich, powerful outsider who loved God was traveling home, reading scripture about Isaiah's vision, this suffering servant. And this wonderful moment happens, right? Where Philip is welcomed into this carriage by this Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip begins to welcome the eunuch into the knowledge of Jesus. He tells about Jesus and his wonderful deeds, and he not only welcomes him into that story, and for the eunuch to find himself in the loving embrace of that, that Christ, that Jesus, that story. But he also welcomes the eunuch to be baptized as well. It's an amazing, astounding story. It's amazing, astounding because this is the first non-Jewish convert to believe in Jesus and be baptized in his name. 
This is astounding because the Holy Spirit directed Philip to do something that changed up the game at that time. It was a wonderful comfort, perhaps, to welcome him into the fold of believers when he had not fully been welcomed before. And yet this one act would begin to have consequences as the church had to begin imagining what it would be like to have non-Jews being welcomed into the life of God's people. This was going to challenge the early church quite a bit to see that the movement of Jesus started as this, as this Jewish movement, but was beginning to spill over into the lives of other people who were not ethnically Jewish, but who loved Jesus and loved God. And so these challenging conversations began to creep up and would lead to change and change for the better. Because the church began to listen to that spirit's direction and leading and take serious following Jesus and welcoming the outsider. There were steps of faithfulness taken by Philip. And I believe that that I see Consistory's decision in the same life, light, dedicated to spiritually following Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus and that love, that unconditional love we see in Jesus in order to expand with this wonderful vision of radical hospitality by allowing people with different orientations and, ex- and identities to be fully welcome to participate here in the life of this church. But what might that mean for our table manners? What comfort, challenges, and change might come? First, we're looking at a a, a people group for a second here, the LGBT plus community, who have long been at the wrong end of the church's ire. They've been at the receiving end of despicable acts and words spoken and barriers put up. In unfortunate ways, when we as a church are called to be a loving and compassionate people. So much so that people begin turning away from the church and not seeking it as a place of hope and the house of prayer and the place to see God. I heard recently from a friend who was at a conference for LGBTQ Christians who in a room of hundreds of people, when asked how many believed they were going to hell, 70% of the people raised their hands. Which is shocking and heartbreaking. And so perhaps this radically, radically wide welcome and hospitality lead to this community and people within this community finally experiencing words of grace from God and the joy of feeling like they have a home. Being able to say that they fit in in the community of Jesus. So this means comfort. But second, this statement about hospitality and radical hospitality is a challenge. It's a challenge to each of us. It's a challenge, because, and I think that Jesus' ministry is such that, that nobody can encounter Jesus and not be, be left unchanged or challenged. 
taking a step back and looking at the broader context of the church in this conversation, Linwood, leading forward in this way, is in the minority of the church when it comes to this conversation. The majority of the church sees that the vision of marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And so, how do we, as a community of faith, find ourselves in relationship with the wider church in the world, as we are all called to share and come to this one table and this one communion in Christ. I don't necessarily have that answer. (laughs) But I know that Jesus found something in his community, in his group of followers that was really beautiful and the great diversity that he had. In his, in his tiny group of people, he had a tax collector, somebody that would have worked for the Romans, that would have collected taxes for the Romans. And he would have also had revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome and get them off the back of Israel. And somehow, he invited both of them to have their place in the community and at the table. And I say this because we here at Linwood as this community are leading forward in this particular way to be welcoming and hospitable to the LGBT community. And you may love that and be comforted in celebrating that, and that's good. And you might also not know where you're at or still be wrestling or disagree. And I want to say that's okay too. And we each are invited to have our place and take our seat at this table of God's grace. And I think the challenge comes to each of us in the way that we can still listen and still remain curious with each other and still find love for each other. In a culture that is so divisive and the vitriol of of different sides yelling at one another and hiding behind entrenched barriers of their own thoughts and agendas, can the church, can this place, still a place where we come around the table and listen and remain curious and say, I love you to others we might disagree with. And in that way, as we seek to love one another, perhaps that is part of the witness, part of of being a, a, a light to the nations and something set before others so that they can see there's something distinct and different. That in the love that we express for one another, the world can see that. And therefore glimpse the love of God that can break down our barriers and transcend the way we divide ourselves. And be something that truly changes each of us for good. The radical welcome will mean comfort and challenge, and I hope change. I hope change. Change for for each of us in our thinking, in our hearts, in the ways that we act toward one another. And pragmatically to this end, one of the things that I would like to do eventually, um, the next couple months, is invite um, Marilyn Parlberg, who is the director of Room for All, the RCA's group that kind of leads in having these discussions about um, LGBTQ community. I'd like for her to come in and, and lead a session where we begin to think through language and thoughts and the ways that we act um, so that we can begin to think about how we are patterning our lives 
to have better table manners, to have a wide embrace that truly welcomes all and creates room and space for all. In all, the message of Jesus and his radical hospitality is to challenge each of us, but challenge us for the better and challenge us to grow deeper with God and for, with each other. Let's pray. Lord our God, you invite us to this table, a table that is not ours but yours. And we are grateful for that. We are grateful for your love that is wide and deep and wonderful. And we pray that day by day, week by week, year by year, we come to experience this and we can share it so others come to experience it as well. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we, we move.